0: Welcome in listeners. So excited to have you all join us on this episode. We have a special new segment that is a survivor led segment. Janelle is a lady that does life with us and she um, has shared her testimony on air before. And she's going to be leading us through a segment of some things that you walk through when you're leaving the clubs. And we're going to have more of these, but this one is the first one. And then Abby Bailey is going to be continuing um, to highlight a particular family in the Bible to us. So let's just jump right in. Hi Janelle, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Um, So listeners, it is a special honor for me to have Janelle back on air. She was with us for one of our first few podcasts, sharing her story, and she's just so faithful in Christ. So in this episode and in what we're hoping to do in the future is to share, um, a firsthand experience for things that you ladies are going through currently to maybe help carry you further along in the process. And so in this particular one, we are wanting to highlight identity and to try to help break that down for you all. It What we're talking about is a set of characteristics that makes up who you are, how you see yourself, how you portray yourself to the world. And so as we deepen our walk with Christ, we learn to look to Him to define us, but it's not unusual for women in general to struggle with this, but and particularly if you've come out of or your entertainment industry to have a little bit of an identity crisis. Janelle, you experienced this firsthand. Can you tell us about your identity while you were a performer?
1: Yes, and thank you for having me back. Uh, yes. I it's been exactly a year. Yes. <laughs> um, so when I was when I was dancing, uh, you know, you you start out and you think, oh, well, I'm only going to, you know, do this for this amount of time. And so it's, it's kind of like just something you go and do. And as you keep going, uh, time goes on. And a year turned into two years. And so what was something I would just go do, I didn't think too much about it. Actually started becoming... Uh, more of who I was and something that I necessarily wasn't open with started becoming uh, more of who I was. Uh, Little things like Being able to say, oh, well, you know, I can go make this much money and I can build this, and I can get this car and you start, you know, building what you think is, you know, the life you want. But at the same time, you know, I think for people who, ladies who get into the industry, there's already uh, some sort of identity crisis that's happened Mm -hmm. and distorted. Mm
2: -hmm. I guess that's the
1: best way I could say it. But then at the same time, you still have to go to parent-teacher conferences, doctor's offices, you know, uh, field trips, if you're a mom, uh, family, you know, events. And so there's this this double life that you're living. So you're kind of in and out of two identities, who you Mm -hmm. are in your personal life, in your family or to your kids, and then who you are in the club or, uh, another thing that was interesting for me was if you travel, you may have different names in, in and <laughs> more than one identity if you're traveling. Right. Multiple
0: identities. Yeah.
1: Right. Um, I had multiple stage names depending on if the name I liked was taken or not. Um, so, and then you kind of adjust it according to where you are, what city you're in or what club you're at or Um, what conferences in town. And so in that, what um, started out as something that was just kind of fun, you know, doing this, making ends meet. It really became a distorted reality and I just began losing myself or what I had of myself more and more.
0: And from what I've learned, um, walking with the beautiful ladies that I've met, yourself included in this process, Is that every woman has her own reasons for leaving the industry? Right. What went into that for you?
1: Well, I think when I, uh, I, well, when I moved to from Seattle to back to California, uh, that was 2012. I really didn't have much of a plan. I just knew I just wanted to get out of Seattle. That really was my only objective. And not really processing the reality of, of what it's like to be uh, in the industry and going mm-hmm. to a new state and a new club. Uh, for me, I had established myself in Seattle. i uh, That's where I had been for, uh, I guess, uh, 12, 13 years dancing. So, you know, I, I could, more or less, do things the way I wanted them. And when I went to California, I was a stranger, and that was new for me. Uh-huh. And um, and so that really messed with me because I uh, I felt I became more of a slave to the managers or to the club, because I wasn't in control the way I was in Seattle. I mean, I, I say in control very loosely. Um, and so for me, I would have to say that around 2014 or 15, living that double life became very difficult to hide. And it was becoming more dangerous because I was doing things I necessarily hadn't done before.
0: Mm -hmm. because
1: I was so unhappy. And dancing became more of something that I stopped making money. And when you stop making money as a dancer, it's time to get out. And so for me, I found myself in situations where I was experiencing multiple uh, near fatal car accidents. Uh, One in particular, Um, I felt the pressure of demonic forces around me like I never had before. It mm-hmm. was a completely different world for me in Southern California dancing than it was in Seattle dancing. And um, so basically after my trip to Vegas, which was played uh, like January 10th, 2015, Uh, My husband had uh, been in a um, hit and run where he had done the hit and run and he called me, it's like 2 a.m. He's like, I... I'm in a high-speed car chase. I don't know who it is. I probably will end up in jail. And all I knew knew is that Jaden was home, um, our son. So Mm -hmm. I got in the car and I drove. And I I believe I told this story, my my testimony uh, podcast. It stormed so bad that night and I remember driving and it's about a six or seven hour drive and Mm -hmm. I'm in probably my worst state of mind. I've been in Vegas already two or three days, probably haven't slept much, Um, just not in a good state of mind. And by the time I got back to um, San Diego, I had decided I was done. I was absolutely done. The idea of this life Destroying my son's life or anything because my husband was so unhappy. We were just all unhappy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when mom is strong or when the wife is strong, the family tends to run a lot better.
0: Mm-hmm. And I,
1: I was withering away. And so that morning, I remember sitting on the edge of my bed, erased every single number, changed my number. Basically, I just disappeared. And that was the last time I danced
0: it's amazing
1: yeah, January 10th
0: <laughs> how did you go about after you left seeking what your true identity was getting out of the clubs what was that process like for you because I know that that's a really brutal phase absolutely
1: uh, I had no idea uh, what I was I had no idea how hard it was going to be. Um, I don't think for me, I didn't. Um, I didn't really think about it. I just made the decision, and it was like, okay, um, let's do this. I, I remember throwing away a lot of my shoes and my my bag and, and those things, um, I got rid of probably 60% of it. There was, you know, stuff I still hung on to. There was kind of a process of that purging, the material things and whatnot. But I knew that I had to get back to the feet of Jesus, no matter uh-huh. what, that that was where whatever was gonna happen, I had to get there. Um, So I crawled back to the feet of Jesus. I had a a really dear childhood friend had invited me to church. And so I rededicated my life and uh, I just began to surround myself with everything. Jesus, worship music, it had been so long since I had even listened to sermons or worship music. So for me, there was so much more out there. Uh, we didn't have YouTube or Facebook and all that stuff uh, back in when I, I was walking with the Lord in 2001. It had been that long. And so I just surrounded myself with everything Jesus, and um, okay. and I transitioned the best that I could, and and then um, probably about five or six months. Maybe five months after, you know, I, w- I was just very raw facing life without uh, trying to find a job and then trying to readjust the way that you look at men and, you know, facing trauma and all these things are, are just right in front of you. And it's kind of like everything looks like a, an emotional boulder. And I ended up, I ended up overdosing on Xanax. And I woke up in the psychiatric hospital on a 70 72 hour hold, which gave me four days to sit mm-hmm. there and really think about what what was happening. And like I have mentioned before, that was when the Lord gave me the option, He you you live or you don't, because you know it's life or death at that point.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. What would you say in getting to know Janelle versus all of these multiple identities that you had created and going through all of that? What would you say the hardest part about discovering and getting to know who you really were? What the hardest part about all of that?
1: I distinctly remember the first time I tried to look at myself in the mirror Mm -hmm. and I... It was very difficult. I couldn't do it. I, I could not look at myself in the eyes and stare into my own eyes. I wasn't ready yet. There was so much shame, so much shame, so much shame, uh, so much guilt and regret. I mean, it was, it it was really raw. And um, I remember going uh, to church. I just knew. Going to church, um, I to receive prayer and worship and what whatever it was. I didn't know specifically what I was looking for. All I know, all I knew, is that I would find it at my girlfriend's church. They um, it was it was just a place where God created a space of healing for me, and so I received a lot of prayer and God uh, was able to really weep the things that had happened to me um, and and get space enough inside of me to think about, okay, you know, what's gonna be the next step? Because when you get released from a 72-hour hold, um, there are steps that you have to take, such as required weekly doctor's appointments with a psychiatrist. I was required to be on medication. Um, and it was at that time I chose to find a therapist and I found an amazing therapist. And for a year, I um, I always say that I emotionally <laughs> vomited every single time, not every single time, but a lot.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I had to be able to do that. I had to be able to bring what was so buried in the darkness yeah. To the light because it can't be dealt with if it's in the dark, you know, it has to be brought into the
0: light. Yes. Well, you know, that's something that, so, I mean, just in full transparency, you know, after getting out of the situation that I got out of and getting right. into therapy, I had never had a place to put all of that right. and certainly not a place that would um endure it without judgment. And so still to yeah. this day, after my therapy sessions, I still haven't gotten over it. And I will still tell my therapist who I absolutely love, hey, I'm really sorry I didn't give you a chance to talk. This is such a <laughs> one-sided relationship. And she's like, you know, you're paying me for this. And I'm like, it's just so strange to me. Like any other friend would have hit the road by now. You know, like <laughs> I, know. I know. It's such a I hard thing. Me. And especially, you know, you harbor all of this guilt and shame and trauma. And usually there's like consequences socially for letting all of this out. So it's so hard to power past all of that in therapy and just like let it out.
1: I think for me, a a, a turning point, you know, you have turning points in your life. Uh, Yeah. Those moments stick with you and the emotion is attached to the memory. And for me, It was one particular session, probably four or five months in. And I remember I made the decision to say the things that I had never said to anybody. And still to this day wouldn't, but I was safe enough with her. And at the end of our hour, she looks at me and she says, are you okay to drive? (laughs) And I thought, okay, that we made some progress. Yeah, And, you know, she made me promise to just sit outside and take some deep breaths. And um, at that time, uh, her office was on the beach, not on the beach, but right there so I could walk to the beach. So I was able to go, uh, you know, a block down and walk on the beach, which was amazing to be able to follow up that type of session with that. But yeah, I made a lot of progress yeah. that day and and it's amazing what happens when uh, space gives way to be able yes. to put something in that's going to help you grow and heal and push past the things that have been like cinder blocks on your on your ankles, right? Just holding you yeah. down. Um, so yeah, that was that between therapy and just developing relationships within uh, the community of ladies in the church. Those two things were real. And then also just you know, rebuilding relationships within my family, with my mom or my sisters. That
0: that was really important, too. Right. And so now, I mean, it's been, what, eight years since leaving? Is that right? Oh, my goodness. I guess, yes. I've been yeah. here, still. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. So how do you see that your identity has changed in those eight years?
1: Oh, <sighs> wow. I... I would have to say, oh, I can look myself in, in the mirror and look in my eyes.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, you
1: can. <laughs> uh, even when I'm crying and I have ugly cry face, I <laughs> make myself because I have to connect with what I'm feeling. I, I want to see it. It's, it's something about... For me personally, feeling the emotion in the uh, for me, my safe place in my house is my bathtub.
0: <laughs> yeah. I may
1: take two baths a day if it's that type of day, but I get into my bathtub and I and it's where I can just worship. I can pray. I can cry. And so a lot of times I find myself in front of the mirror, and I will look myself in the in the mirror, look at myself in my eyes, and. I'll tell myself, you got this, you are brave, you are worthy. And I have that written uh, sometimes in lipstick, but sometimes in um, the whiteboard markers, you can put Mm -hmm. them on mirrors. And so I will write, I am worthy. I am an overcomer, you know, reminding myself of those things. For me, learning to love myself has been a... Um a huge process, but rewarding in the same. Uh learning to emotionally just hug yourself, your body, and just it's it's a process though. Does I'm I'm still learning to love myself. Yeah. Um, you know, like it's been eight years. hmm Maybe it's a there's so many process. layers to the
0: <laughs> healing, you know.
1: Absolutely. And then as you're going through that, life is still happening
0: absolutely oh my goodness yes (laughs) where's the sunshine and rainbows i thought i was signing up for right oh absolutely i
1: was like oh i i don't just get all the rewards right now oh okay and and also it's um you know why people don't stop acting up uh yeah bills don't stop coming that's Uh, right relationships you know continue have ups and downs you know with Paul that was huge for me I had to Mm -hmm. do a lot of work on myself as well as you know work within my marriage Um, so there were a lot of moving parts but something I did is I I developed community and that was really really important for me was developing community I had never had that
0: before yeah and so from having that firsthand experience of walking through something like this that you've had, what advice would you give a woman who's struggling with her identity? Oh, you know,
1: I thought about
0: this question and
1: the number one thing that came to me uh, first was boundaries.
0: Mm-hmm. and then
1: The next one was community. And I thought about those two words and then i decided to switch them because in order to set healthy boundaries you really need to have a community of strong women around you that Mm -hmm. trust that will point you back to scripture point you back to the cross stand in the gap for you you know be that phone call at 3 a.m or mm-hmm. um be that person that you can you know just cry to you know and when you have community you also have their stories and the lord uses their stories to help you and one of the things that i learned was how to set boundaries
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, Setting boundaries is is huge. That's something I've learned over the last two years. That has been pivotal in my growth. Um, having people who are safe within my within my boundaries, and those who are not emotionally safe but still say family, um, you can't just say, "Oh, I'm never going to see you again" because there's holidays,
0: right? right.
1: Um, there's life, and so. For me, I learned how to place family members outside of my boundaries and not feel guilty and um, not to feel like I did something wrong. But mm-hmm. again, the process it took me took me about a good year. I don't like to put timelines on it, but uh, I, I see. I feel like my my life really does go by seasons and you know, I have year, my years are full of of learning and experience and lessons. And so for me, um, I grew a lot and healed a lot when I began setting boundaries.
0: Yes. Amen. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have you on and to ask these tough questions with both. And I'm looking really forward to having these special segments with you and everything that is going to come forth that much.
1: Me too. Thanks for having yeah. me.
0: Of course. But- Previous trauma informed segments, we have briefly discussed boundaries. I just want to revisit the topic again because it is such a big deal in healing. And I know that in the end of Janelle's segment, she brought it up and just how influential it was for her. And so I want to talk about it. I want to recommend an excellent read for you ladies or anybody that feels like they may be struggling with boundaries. It's by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. It's called Boundaries. They also have another one called Sa- Safe People. But in breaking down boundaries, um, I know it's it's popular discussion these days, but um, so just in identifying them, first of all, Obviously, a physical boundary helps you determine who may touch you and under what circumstances. Mental boundaries give you the freedom to have your own thoughts and opinions. Emotional boundaries help you deal with your own emotions, disengage from harmful, manipulative emotions of others. And then, of course, spiritual boundaries help you distinguish God's will from your own and give you renewed all for your creator. Um, in their book, they, they highlight the 10 laws of boundaries. And of course, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go into every single one of them, but I am, I do want to briefly go over them. Um, (laughs) sorry, just getting there with it. Um, for me, Whenever I was establishing boundaries, I realized that the very first one was the one that I struggled the most with, and that's um, the law of sowing and reaping. God tells us that what we sow, we will reap. Essentially, we'll reap what we sow. He's not punishing us. He's telling us how how things are. Example, if you smoke cigarettes, you may develop a smoker's cough. Um, you may even get lung cancer. If you overspend, you may end up in debt. And um, there are natural consequences to some of our actions. I was a very codependent person. I didn't have any boundaries. And I would end up taking all of the responsibility for the irresponsible person. I would pay their bills Physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and the other person would live out of control with no consequences. And you know, whenever I tried to reason with that person, they didn't. I didn't get anywhere. And that's because confronting an irresponsible person isn't painful to them. Only consequences are. And I was never having that person suffer any of the consequences of their actions. Um, So the first law of boundaries is the law of reaping and sowing. Um, The next one is the law of responsibility. And it... It is about loving others. Jesus commands us to love each other as I have loved you, but we can't live for another person. We're to love one another, not be one another. We can't feel feelings for one another. Um, We can have empathy and sympathy, but we can't do it for them. I can't think for you. I can't behave for you. I can't work through disappointment for you. Um, I can't grow for you. Only you can. And likewise, you can't grow for me. And um, I think that once you grasp that, it kind of lets go of a lot of unnecessary responsibility that sometimes we can put on our shoulders. Next is the law of power. And of course, if you've ever had to do any type of addiction, recovery, or celebrate recovery, you have to recognize that you're powerless over your behavior. Paul talks about this in in Romans, um, about not having the power to do what he knows is right, feel, feeling powerless over his sins and decisions, but... Mm. You can recognize your powerlessness, but you have the power to agree with what truth is about your problems. The Bible calls that confession, and what we confess, we agree with. You have the ability to at least say, hey, that's me, and you may not know how to change it yet, but you can still at least admit and accept that, okay, that's me. You also have the power to submit your inability to God. You have the power to search and ask God and other people to reveal more and more about what's within your boundaries. You have the power to turn from evil that you find within you. That's called repentance. That doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but it means that you can see your sinful parts as an aspect of what you want to change you have the power to humble yourself and to ask God and others to help you with your developmental injuries and leftover childhood needs. You have the power to seek out those who've injured you and make amends. The Another law is the law of respect when it comes to boundaries. And of course, all of this is, is in their book, um... There's the law of motivation, Um, and you have to, basically in that principle, you're breaking down what your driving force is between, you know, why you are or aren't doing something. A lot of it has to do with fear. Uh, It could be fear of loss of love, fear of abandonment, fear of making someone else angry, fear of being lonely, fear of losing the good inside of yourself, fear of guilt, um, to pay someone back maybe what's motivating you, other people's approval. Um, uh, can be several different things. But one major thing that I did want to bring up, so when you're reading through this book, you're going to come across, um, if you read it, which I really recommend, um, it's been... It made a huge difference for me and a lot of my very close friends that struggled with healing and realized that they had big boundary problems. Um, There's a special section that I really just want to address um, for ladies who are victims, particularly of sexual abuse or um, domestic abuse, because it's really, really hard to set a boundary um, when you've come through some of those things. And, um, there's a special section in there of it. Um, I just want to encourage you, even in the book, it specifically says, you know, if you're a victim, you probably need, it says that boundary work is really helpful, of course, in moving a victim towards restoration and healing. But in many cases, the severe nature of the need is such that a victim will be unable to set boundaries without professional help. And they strongly urge you to seek out a counselor that can help guide you in in establishing and maintaining appropriate boundaries. And I know that that was necessary for myself. And I know it was necessary for a lot of my friends who... um, had to establish boundaries that they were going to stick to for the first time. They had tried doing it on their own and they were unsuccessful and sometimes put themselves in more dangerous situations. And so, um, it can feel overwhelming whenever you're in those stages. And so I just want to encourage you that there's help out there to even help in that process. And of course, if you're a woman that's listening and you know you're overwhelmed with where to start, and you feel like you need counseling, but maybe you're in a place where that isn't a reasonable thing for you, maybe due to finances or, or whatever. Please reach out to us through social media or um, our website. We would love to be able to help if if that's something that's inhibiting you from growing. We want to be able to help any way that we can with the resources that we have. So. Um I just wanted to touch briefly on boundaries, like I said, because um, Janelle and her survivor segment had mentioned it, and I wanted to touch loosely on those. Um, like I said, I really encourage you to get this book. They also have a workbook that can kind of help break it down um, into more bite-sized chunks and help you to help make the read personal more personal and how that applies to you in more practical ways for how you can apply it to your life. And so, um, it's a very anointed book, um, it's helped, I mean, it, it's sold over 2 million copies, but it's helped so many people, um, learn to establish healthy boundaries, and just that one small thing can completely transform your life, and so, I know it probably seems like we've over-touched on it, but it's because it's, it's so influential in every aspect of your life, so, um, that's that's it for the trauma informed segment this week but i really hope that if um if you're struggling that that's an encouragement to you and it helps give you some starting points and some guide points All right, ladies, we are back with my dear friend, Abby, and she's got some good stuff for us this week. Um, I know that we've kind of been sharing um, the patriarchs of the Christian faith, kind of breaking down a certain family, and, um, you know, we started with with joseph well abraham and then jacob and joseph and kind of explaining all of that but so part of the ancient tribe of israel so to speak and the the original 12 um brothers abby's got a little story about one of their families for this week and how that ties into us today so um abby what you got well
2: it's um it's probably the final story that i'll do on this but It's the one I feel like it's the hardest for us in this culture, in this day and time, to truly wrap our heads around. Um, Judah was one of the brothers, if you guys remember, in previous podcasts, that had plotted against Joseph and wanted to kill him. Um, he hated him. Well, after they got rid of Joseph and he saw the grief that it caused his dad, Jacob, he basically left, um... Genesis 38 says that he left his brothers and went down to stay with a man um, in another area. Um, He met a Canaanite man who had a daughter. He fell in love with her, and they had a family. So, he is estranged, kind of, from his family in another area. Um, At some point, he's got three boys. Two of them are older. When the oldest one is of the Marian age, he... um, betrothed him to a woman named Tamar. Um, The root of that word Tamar is where we often get Tamra. So I'm just going to call her Tammy. So I feel like that's easier to (laughs) relate to. to. (laughs) And sweet little Tammy marries Judah's oldest, who is the Bible says is evil in the eyes of the Lord. Mm. He is, um, he just, he doesn't, He doesn't honor Judah's God at all. He doesn't um, have any reverence or fear of the Lord. He doesn't honor his new bride. And so the Lord literally strikes him dead. Well, there was a provision for widows in Deuteronomy that said if there was another brother that they had to marry their, their widow and provide an heir in the name of that brother, in the name of that son for Judah. So, Judah gives her to his second-born son. Um, Well, (laughs) Onan is his name, and he does not want to provide an heir for his brother, his deceased brother. And so, you know, once again, I'll say, if you like soap operas and you want to know all the... (laughs) The tea it's a hot mess. get your Bible out because <laughs> there is some stuff. the Bible says that Onan spilled his seed on the ground, and so that way he would never provide an heir for his son, so he, it, that was very wicked to the Lord. it was very dishonouring to sweet Tammy, she was essentially being used physically, mm-hmm. which how many of us can write that story right um not being loved, not being honored, and was not going to ever be given means to really be a legitimate member of that family mm. and in that culture being able to provide an heir for family was pretty much the purpose of women yeah. that's how culture looked at them mm-hmm. and so at that point judah gets fearful because the lord strikes onan dead for his evil deeds so now he's lost two sons to this woman and you know like we do like all of May can do. Um, instead of, you know, taking a moment of pause and saying, well, what could I have done in my life? Could possibly I be reaping what I sowed and trying to build my, kill my brother, Joseph, mm-hmm. or selling him into slavery? Could I be possibly, you know, paying for the fact that i not raising my family with my family? That I've estranged myself from my father no, he doesn't do any of that. He does what uh, most of us do when we're not living the way we should be. He blames sweet Tammy. And he sends her packing back to her family. Well, this would have been very disgraceful. For her to come home a widow with no heir to her family, she this is the biggest rejection that you could have basically, in that day and time, given someone. So now she's covered in shame. Mm-hmm. In their local society, she is defective. There is something broken and wrong with her, as far as everyone around her. Um, he, now Judah does promise her that when his youngest son is old enough, he will give him to her, and that will be her husband, and she'll have an heir through him. So Tammy goes back to her pat, her parents' pad, and lives out her days and waits and waits and waits, um, and it never happens. And she finds out that the younger son has come of age, and he's been moving on with his life and his plans, and she's just sitting over there getting older, and, you know, clock is ticking, yeah. those little eggs are drying up, and she needs a baby, <laughs> and she's not, she's not even on their radar, their life has moved on. And I can relate to that kind of rejection. I don't know about you, but Mm -hmm. I can like, you just feel like you just, no one sees you. Like you have no purpose. I like, if I, if I could relate to any other part of that story, I could relate to that emotion in that. And so at some point, Judah's shepherding, like, just like he did for his dad. And so he's taking his flocks to market and they're going through a town. And so she is very brave and very bold And she dresses like a prostitute. Mm -hmm. I guess in her mind, she thought, well, if you're going to treat me like this, I'll act like one. Mm -hmm. So she disguises herself and goes as a temple prostitute on the roadside. And she entices him, and he offers to sleep with her. And so he says, well, I don't have any money. She says, okay, well, you can send it to me. um, But you're going to have to leave your cord, your tie, your ring, and your cloak with me. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, As payment, as a promise of payment. And so, his wife has died by then. He needed some loving. So, he agreed to it, which was also a very uncommon thing for a prostitute to demand that much of supposedly, you know, quote-unquote righteous man. But he Mm -hmm. agrees to it. Mm -hmm. So, I'm thinking she must have looked pretty good with those eyelashes behind that little little mask. (laughs) She she was batting them for all they were worth. And so, they... uh, He leaves after it's over. She takes his robe, his ring, his cord, and she winds up pregnant. Now, now
0: the real scandal starts. Here Wood is a widow. This would have been a part two type of soap opera. We would have had to break it into a few days for sure. (laughs) Whose baby
2: is it? (laughs) So this is really what gets me too is the audacity of people. So she is pregnant. It's a huge scandal. By law, she should have been put to death. And what does Judah do? Once again, an opportunity to realize his own sin. But does he? No. Mm-hmm. He tells the servant, We're gonna stone her. Mm-hmm. So she sends back his ring, his cloak, and everything and says, The man who owns these is the father of my children. Of course he recognizes them. Yeah. Of course he knows Wait a minute those. Oh were mine. that's where I left those. <laughs> When he would try to send back the goat for payment. um, You know, and don't ever get mad at anybody for bringing the wrong flowers. You could have gotten a goat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought, wow, I'm so glad that tradition didn't hold. Yeah. But when he had sent the the servant back previously with the goat for payment, there were no temple prostitutes. They couldn't find her. Mm -hmm. And somehow none of this is clicking with Judah until he sees his robe and his ring and and his his ribbon or cord so he uh takes ownership of it and he actually confesses and says she is more righteous than i he knew the law he knew what was supposed to have happened and he in his rebellion wasn't doing it and was willing to sacrifice her whole life for it destroy her you Mm -hmm. know um and so god in his infinite mercy he he takes her as his bride she provides him with two heirs, so she gets double for her trouble, mm-hmm. and she names them. Um, I think it's uh, Fares and Zara, which Farez means breach or to burst forth, and Zara means brightness. And the interesting thing of this story to me, really like, really makes me want to shout, mm-hmm. is in Matthew one. She is listed by name with her two children Mm -hmm. in the lineage of Christ. Yes. And her two sons' names, Christ was the breach Mm -hmm. between us and God. And he is the light of the world. Mm -hmm. And it was almost, you know, it's a prophecy, prophetic word. And and when you read the lineage of Christ, read the story, the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, in Matthew 1. And there are three women (laughs) named there, Rahab who was a prostitute, mm-hmm. who gave birth to Boaz, who became Ruth's kinsman redeemer, which Christ is also a picture of. Yes. Ruth was scandalous in her time. She uncovered Boaz with the cloak and laid it across her. hmm And um, uh, became the um, father of Obed whose mother was Ruth. And then, of course, Obed became the father of Jesse, King David's, David's daddy. daddy. Yes. So you have uh, Tammy, mm-hmm. <laughs> who gives birth to these boys, mm-hmm. who give birth to children, who become the fathers of um, Boaz, and Obed, and Jesse, and David. And it descends down. And you have Joshua or Josiah... Um, and then it just continues to go down until you get to the lineage of the, until you get to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, so you have these these women who society has no place for.
0: And they're the only three listed by name. Only
2: it. women. Yeah. Like that was kind of unheard of then yeah. too. Yeah. But the powerful stories, each one of them, basically, you know, Ruth came with her brother in law, Naomi, who's both of her sons had died. Yes. Um, and she said, "Where you go, I'll go." Mm-hmm. But she she had no she had no custom or religious tie to Naomi other than the love yeah. of that relationship. And through her becomes a vessel of this lineage of Christ. Yeah. You have Rahab, who was the Bible makes no bones about it; she was <laughs> flat out was a prostitute yeah. that gave shelter to the Israelites and mm-hmm. helped them to take the city. Yeah. And then you have. Tammy, who is rejected, disowned, scorned. Yeah. Has been through hell and back and has double portion
0: mm-hmm.
2: given to her.
0: Yeah.
2: And I just thought, well, now don't, who's going to try to tell me now that God can't use them? Mm-hmm. Whatever rejection, whatever mishandling by men, whatever labels society has put on us. Mm-hmm. We have proof that God uses the most unlikeliest of women and yes. the most scandalous of circumstances in His great mercy mm-hmm. and goodness and oftentimes gives us double for our trouble. Amen. Not only does He use us, but He brings generations through us. Yeah. And it's just like that robe, the ring, the tie, you know, and the story of Rahab, they tell her this. They say, tie a, a red tie out your window so that we spare you, because mm-hmm. we're taking the city. Mm-hmm. And it was such an imagery of what Jesus did for us. His mm-hmm. blood is that red cord that saves us yeah. from destruction. Yeah. And then Boaz with the covering, the cloth, the robe. That was the identity that she belonged to him. Mm-hmm. They were. That was a unit. And it's just like the story that Jesus tells with the prodigal son. When the prodigal son comes home, he puts his robe on him. And that is the robe of righteousness that Christ puts on us when he saves us and redeems us. Yes. And he puts his signet ring, his identity on him. This is my son. Yeah. And to me, it's just such a beautiful tapestry that Christ wove through through the scriptures yes. and through the stories of other people. And it's the story continues. Mm-hmm. I can say one day... When the annuals of heaven are open, someone's going to pull out a story about Abby and say, and then that girl did this, (laughs) and then you won't believe who she ended up with. And then the Lord in all his goodness gave her this and this, Mm -hmm. and because she was bold, and because she stood on the word of God, he gave her double for her trouble. That's my story.
0: And he's still writing those stories. Amen. Well, and you know, and in Hebrews, and I know this doesn't tie into Tammy's story, but it does in such a way. In Hebrews 11 and 12, what they call the hall of faith, yes. whenever they're listening to it, uh, or when they're listing all of these great acts of faith throughout Scripture, and they bring up Rahab, they don't bring up all of her prostituting acts mm-hmm. and who she slept with and how many men she'd been with and all of the things that she had done wrong. She hid two spies and sacrificed, put her life on the for their protection and when her name is brought up it says the Lord credited it to her as righteousness and that was before Jesus went to the cross yeah. because she had enough faith in that circumstance to believe yes. and um, so you know, whenever when we have the benefit of the blood of Christ, right. and so when we have Christ, He doesn't see any of that. He looks, and like you said, that cloak of righteousness. He sees the blood of Jesus, he and says He the sees red cord
2: of His blood, His Son that tied a ribbon around us and yanked us right out of the clutches of hell. Yes, He covered us with His righteousness, and He puts His seal of approval with His ring on it, and says, "She is bought and paid for." She is beautiful. Mm -hmm. She is written into my lineage. She is a co-heir with Christ. Talk about upgrade. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We get the upgrade of a lifetime. We became part of a royal family. We are Mm -hmm. daughters of a king. Amen. Regardless of what we did, how we did it. Mm -hmm. Once we accept Jesus and we are under the blood and under his protection. We have a new identity and we
0: have a new destiny. Yes. So if you're trying to find out who you are, figure out whose you are. Yes. That's the starting place right yes. there.
2: And yeah. with Rahab, what was counted to her as faith is that she saw the Israelites cross that Jordan River on dry land. Yeah. And she saw them build an altar and she said, your God is God. Mm-hmm. And that all it takes is that revelation and confession. No matter what, for mm-hmm. you to stop in your tracks right now and say, God, I know that you are real. Mm-hmm. And I know that your son died for me. And I'm saying out loud right now, come be my God. Mm-hmm. Because you are real. Yes. You are who you say you are. And once it starts with that, buckle up, sister. Mm-hmm. You're in for the adventure of your life. Yes. He is so good. He is. I love that. Whatever broken situation, family, when the Lord gets a hold of us, it will be even like Judah saying, She is more righteous than I. Mm-hmm. Because His faithfulness changes us, His goodness leads us to repentance, and He can take our biggest mess, mm-hmm. impossible mm-hmm. situations that people have written us off, given no possible way for us to have any kind of future. Those boys were her inheritance, not only in that culture, but they were her inheritance in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. They became. Um, part of Christ's story and and we are part of Christ's story when we submit to him and allow him to have full authority over our lives he writes us into that Mm -hmm. what a beautiful beautiful tapestry he is weaving out of our lives long before we even like you said long before we even know Mm -hmm. him or recognize the power of the cross and what he did on it for us he is writing our stories and he is weaving things himself into it and I just I, I just like, I feel like one day there's going to be s- stories and we're going to see this red thread yes, of Christ's blood that just follow the tapestry, follow it, and it's just interwoven into so many of our lives mm-hmm. and in our backgrounds, and yes. we're just going to marvel yes. at His goodness and mercy over us in ways that we never thought and could never imagine. And so that is my hope in talking about all of these stories, Jacob, um, Sarah, Abraham, Joseph, uh, Tammy. <laughs> Judah, all of them um and that he is still a God of restoration, mm-hmm. he is still a God of reconciliation,
0: yeah.
2: and it there is nothing impossible for him, it really does not matter what brokenness you come out of. It doesn't matter what label has been put on you. It doesn't matter what bad choices or mistakes you've made. His blood speaks a better word. Amen. And you can be whole and you can be righteous. And you could start all over again with a new life if you just cry out to Jesus. He's waiting for you.
0: Okay, listeners, that is all for this episode. Hope you enjoyed our new segment that is survivor-led. If you have any questions or any topics that you would like for us to... To cover next feel free to reach out and give us some ideas some encouragement we would love to talk on and touch on things that are relevant to you now um, on the trauma informed segment um, like I said at the moment if um, boundaries are something that you feel like you need help working through feel free to reach out As usual, we love you. We pray blessings over you in the weeks to come. Pray that you experience God in a fresh new way. And if there's anything that we can do to help you walk out healing and just freedom in your life, then we want to be able to do that. So we love you. And until next time, have a great day.